Virginia Tech loses to Pittsburgh, and let's hope Justin Fuente's pants are fireproof because his seat is hotter than ever. Virginia, meanwhile, has righted its ship and won three in a row. And both schools' basketball teams have high hopes this season. All that and Aaron McFarling's puppy chow this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 63 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here as always, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you, sir? Good afternoon, Mike. You guys enjoying this fall weather? We are. You know, it's an interesting time of year. It's a great time of year for sports because we've got basketball getting ready we've got football in in the thrust of things and we've got the baseball postseason which i know you and i both enjoy but the weather's been interesting because it's beautiful it's a beautiful fall day today as, as we record on tuesday uh but the mornings david <laughs> the mornings are still a bit brisk yes and i have made the mistake of wearing my summer dog walking attire as I take the dogs out, my shorts, my t-shirt, my flip-flops. And uh, yesterday, I'll be honest, I had to turn around and come back in and put on a hoodie because uh, a bit chilly in the morning. Yeah, I, I, I would not venture out this morning in flip-flops, that's for sure. Yeah, I've, I've been playing, I think I've mentioned on this show, but I've been playing uh, pickleball a lot of my mornings here to get some exercise in. And uh, I went out the other morning and I was the first one to get there. That doesn't usually happen. I'm I'm usually towards the back end, but I was the first one to get there and there was nobody there yet. And I looked at my thermo- thermostat in the car and it said 43 degrees. I said, I wonder if anyone else is going to show up. But sure enough, a little closer to start time, everyone else uh, trickled in. It, it is a fun time of the year though, isn't it, David? Especially the way the sports are starting to overlap. Yeah, it really is. A lot of stuff to pay attention to, to to write and talk about. So absolutely. Now let's get right into it then. And, you know, after all of that talk about how we love this time of year, I'm, I'm going to start on a downer. <laughs> I'm going to start in Blacksburg, David, where you were. Uh, you attended a, a kind of ugly, punchless Hokies loss to Pittsburgh that uh, really, like I said in the opening, you'll put Justin Fuente even further on the hot seat, uh, put Virginia Tech behind the eight ball in terms of kind of salvaging its season. So David, just tell me in terms of the game, what did you see and and were you surprised uh, that it wasn't particularly competitive? No, I wasn't surprised. I really wasn't. And that's that speaks to, to both teams. I think right now, as as we speak, Pitt is the best team in the ACC. And Virginia Tech, like several other teams in the league, most notably Clemson, is lost on offense. I mean, who among Hokie faithful, think of it this way, who among Hokie faithful wouldn't have volunteered and raised both hands if they had been told, you're going to be right next to Clemson this season in total <laughs> offense and scoring offense? Everybody would have said, hallelujah, we're going to be averaging like 30, 35 a game. We're going to be in great shape. And sure enough, there they are right next to Clemson at the bottom of the league and at the bottom of the power five in scoring and total offense. It's amazing. Yeah, amazing is one word for it. (laughs) I've heard some other words and read some other words on Twitter from fans. So, David, how bad is this Virginia Tech offense? And maybe more importantly, can it be salvaged? 
it's bad on every level right now. I'm not sure if it can be salvaged. And I'm sure most Virginia Tech fans are, are aware of Justin Fuente post-game. He took it all on himself, which is which is fine and admirable. But he really sounded bereft of ideas on how to fix it. Now, granted, it's it's right in the aftermath of a 28-7 beatdown at home, no less. And, you know, it, it's hard to come up with concrete answers, especially those that you might even think about sharing in public. But the Hokies are not good up front. Witness the fourth and one quarterback sneak where mm-hmm. Braxton Burmeister had no chance. The, the line got no push. They're not particularly good at quarterback. Burmeister was 11 for 32, albeit under windy conditions. But in those windy conditions, Kenny Pickett was 22 of 37. <laughs> so spare me the wind is an excuse. And Virginia Tech's receivers, Tavion Robinson made a great catch despite pass interference there in the second half for a touchdown. But that was about the only play a Tech wideout made all day. Against Pitt, I mean, you know, you've got to win those 50-50 balls Mm -hmm. because they are going to play press man-to-man coverage. They're going to crowd the box to stuff you stuff your run and dare you to beat them deep. And and Burmeister and, and Brad Cornelson, the offensive coordinator, they were going deep early and often, but they got no playmakers. Yeah. And David, you know, we went into the year and I said, I thought that the starting 11 for Virginia Tech on both sides of the ball was good enough to win the division. I was wrong, first of all, that they haven't been on offense good enough. But the main point there was I had a lot of questions about the second 11, the lack of depth. And now when you're talking about Justin Fuente and talking about answers, um, I feel for the guy in his current spot because there are no answers on that second 11, right? He doesn't have a lot of maneuverability. There aren't guys he can plug in on the offensive line to make it better. Um, And they've tried, right? And they've they've had to because of the injury to to Silas Zanzi. They had some different guys, some different lineups. Nothing seemed to really work. Nothing seemed to really take. Uh, They don't have any depth at wide receiver. So, yeah, maybe you're not getting big playmaking out out of your starting three. You really don't have any other places to go. Um, Same thing for the running game, right? They've they've played all these backs. They've all shuffled through. Um, That is my big concern for Virginia Tech. I I look at Justin Fuente. I look at Brad Cornelson, and, you know, fans can mock them and get on them for saying they don't have any answers. I don't think the program has any, I don't think there's anything they could dial up here uh, to really salvage this thing. David, do they have the pieces to be a little more ball control and at least take some pressure off this defense and try to ride the defense to at least six wins? I think they do, Mike, for, for a couple of reasons. You're never as bad as you or others think you are. It's your worst moment. And hopefully for Virginia Tech's sake, Saturday was the low moment of 2021. But that's the way Pitt plays you. They make it almost impossible to play that ball control. We're just going to run it three, four yards at a clip and rack up first downs. That's hard to do against a Pat Narduzzi defense. 
you look at, at the rest of, of Virginia Tech's schedule, I know it's backloaded with road games, but Virginia Tech's home field advantage has gone out the window long ago. You know, they get routinely waxed at, at home of late, which is a, a disturbing trend on its own. But Syracuse this week, at Georgia Tech, at Boston College, home to Duke, at Miami. With even a semblance of a competent offense, Mike, I think Virginia Tech could win the next five. The question is, can they summon some semblance of competence on offense? That's a great question. I I said to our friend Wes McElroy, I said, I think every game on the schedule remaining is winnable, but I don't know if Virginia Tech can win any of them, (laughs) if that makes sense. I mean, those games are right there for the taking, but from what we've seen, Tech doesn't have the, the parts to get it done. Now, on a more positive note, David, I've found the defense even in that loss, very encouraging. I think Justin Hamilton uh, has rebounded from a, a terrible first season. I've been really impressed with what he's put together on that side of the football. First team to hold Pitt to fewer than 40 points. Panthers scored 28. Kenny Pickett was really efficient. They, didn't, they did not turn him over. That that really hurt. But he threw for what, 205, 210? I don't have this, the, the stat sheet in front of me, but it's not like he he lit them up. Now, they gave up a bunch of rushing yards, more more than 200. But still, to, to only give up four touchdowns to, to, to that group, that's pretty tough. No one else had been able to, to do that. Now, we'll see how, how Pitt does this week at home against Clemson and what is an absolutely fascinating game Saturday. But to, to your point, yes, I, I thought Virginia Tech acquitted its, itself well, especially since Dax Hollifield was out for the first half because of the targeting ejection in the second half against Notre Dame. Again, only four touchdowns. The problem is Virginia Tech has played four games this season against Power 5 teams. In none of those outings did the Hokies score more than three offensive touchdowns. In 2021, Mike, that that's untenable. You, you can't win. Absolutely. Pickett was, by the way, 22 for 37, 203 yards and two scores. Not a bad game, but by Kenny Pickett's standards, pretty pedestrian. And a lot of those rushing yards, David, did come in that second half when Pitt was essentially uh, – the victor was yes. attempting to kind of salt things away. And, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I also have to wonder when you are a defense and it's not an excuse by any stretch, but at no point did it feel like, at least to me, and, I, and you were there, you can tell me at no point did it feel like Virginia tech had a chance to win that football game. That makes it tough to play defense. Um, when it feels like, Hey, no matter how many big stops you come up with, it doesn't matter because your offense has got nothing. It's, it's an interesting point, Mike, and literally just before we started recording today, I was on a Zoom with Hollifield, and he was saying how proud he was of the defense there in the fourth quarter Yeah, when they easily could have just said, the heck with this, we're out of here, and give up an, an, another touchdown or two. And he said, we didn't. We were out there busting it. And he was really encouraged by that. And if 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 I were Justin Hamilton and, and Justin Fuente, I'd be encouraged by that too. 
Yeah, I thought that was my my big takeaway was that they were pretty good and pretty good for all four quarters. And uh, David, now you mentioned the, the the home field advantage that hasn't been what it's been. Um, where do the fans fit into this? What was the atmosphere like? And Eric McLean, the ACC network analyst, was on this morning on, on the uh, Packer and Durham show. And I know he was half joking, but he basically implied that Virginia Tech fans had moved on to basketball season was his quote. He said, they've checked out, they've moved on to basketball season. That might be a bit harsh. And I, I think he was a little tongue in cheek there. But uh, what was the atmosphere like? And and do you think the fans are going to keep showing up for this team, uh, I, I guess, uh, this weekend and, and, and then one more? Yeah, the, the, the remaining two home games are, are hardly big ticket items with, with Syracuse and Duke. So, no, you're not going to see the type of crowds that you saw for Carolina, Notre Dame, and this past weekend for Pitt. It was homecoming. Mm-hmm. Now, it wasn't standing room only, but it was a really good turnout. By the middle of the fourth quarter, the joint's almost empty. You can't, you can't have that, right? I mean, if you're Virginia Tech, that, that's, that's not the image you've worked so hard to cultivate. And, and that kind of transitions into, into the next topic, which is that hot seat that Justin mm-hmm. Fuente sits on. And, and yeah. I don't think either of us love to, to speculate in season. And, and I don't know what, what good it does. There is a lot of football left to be played. We mentioned all the winnable games left. But, David, the combination of not being very competitive in this game the combination of uh, us not feeling like there are any answers within that program and the combination of, of the fans really being either angry, which is probably better, or disinterested, which might be where we're headed. Uh, how much trouble is Justin Fuente in? Right now, he's in considerable trouble. And he, and he knows it. I mean, it's, it's, there's no secret there. This team is going to have to produce down the stretch for him to return in, in year seven. And let's not forget, Mike, offense is Justin Fuente's wheelhouse. I mean, that's what his reputation is built on, and rightfully so. He was terrific as, as the head coach at Memphis with Paxton Lynch. And he was exceptional as the OC at, at TCU under Gary Patterson and with Andy Dalton. But right now, here they are, here the Hokies are in, in year six, and they're just bad on, on that side of the ball. And you know, there's there's no playmaker running back. There's certainly no Khalil Herbert. And the offensive line is not good. You know, we, we, we've gone through the litany, and it, it's got to perk up here in, in a real hurry. I mean, if, if they were to lose Saturday at home to Syracuse, and I don't think they will. I think Virginia Tech's going to win. But if that game goes sideways, oof, it's, it's going to get really unpleasant in Blacksburg. You know, you listed the successes for Justin Fuente, and it's worth pointing out, he's pretty damn good year one with Gerard Evans. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Justin Fuente and and Brad Cornelson. And, um, you know, so much uh, positivity and and just a good sense of where things were headed, and it just hasn't panned out. Whit Babcock, the athletic director, is the son of a college coach. His dad was a very successful baseball coach at James Madison. He doesn't strike me as the type of AD who would want to make a move in season. No. Do you agree with me? Yes. Yes. No. It, it would have to take some turns that we can't even, that Stephen King couldn't conjure <laughs> up for 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 Babcock to, to make that kind of move, in, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, and I, like I said, I, I think, you know, his background uh, tells me that that's something he'd prefer to avoid. And the other thing, David, you, you talk about the twists and turns. To me, you only make that move if a football team quits on the coach, mm-hmm. right? And I've, I've never seen that in the Justin Fuente tenure. Maybe that 45-10, the Friday night loss to Duke, um, there wasn't a ton of, of, of heart in that one. But this team plays hard for Justin Fuente. Uh, the defense we talked about is playing very hard for Fuente and Justin Hamilton. Um, so I, I put this out there because I keep getting emails and tweets and questions. I think if you're a tech fan, the best advice I can give you is, you know, let's enjoy the season as much as you can and sort it out when it's done. Because I don't think it's getting sorted out for you before that. And no. I think pining every Saturday for a new coach or getting angry and saying, you know, oh, he should be fired, you know, before he leaves the building or road games, he should be fired before he gets on the plane. Those things aren't in play, I don't I don't believe. So sit back, relax, try to enjoy some football. And at the end of the year, there are going to be some big decisions about this program. Mm-hmm. And, and Mike, those decisions as unpleasant as they can be if, if a change is needed, they're usually, not always, but usually they're pretty obvious. So I, I, I don't, I'm not sure that there's going to be a lot of mystery come Thanksgiving weekend about what's going to happen with the leadership in Virginia Tech football. One, one way or the other, I think it'll be pretty clear. Either he's coming back or Virginia Tech is in search mode. It's going to be interesting, and it certainly has the potential to make that annual rivalry game with UVA uh, quite the spectacle, uh, especially if this is, as I think we expect, still hanging over uh, Virginia Tech's head in, in terms of what direction they're going. David, while you were down in Blacksburg watching that, I was here in Charlottesville, and, and I saw a UVA, a UVA team that, that at least I know I did, kind of left for dead a few weeks ago. I saw them absolutely dominate, admittedly a very bad Duke football team, 48 nothing. Uh, the defense, which has struggled at times, gets the shutout. The offense, which has been really great all year, uh, was even better in some ways. We'll get to that with, with what Brendan Armstrong was able to do. Uh, David, what did you take away from, from, again, it's a game against Duke, but from the result that UVA got Saturday? Yeah, Duke's pretty bad. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And I, man, I feel badly for David Cutcliffe, what he's what he accomplished there and has has built in terms of infrastructure is pretty darn remarkable. But you know they've they've hit a wall there. Not not even this team, but it seems like the program has. And again, the lopsided nature of the game did not surprise me in the least. Forty-eight nothing probably did. But Virginia can do that to you. I mean, that that offense, when when it gets going, is, I wouldn't say unstoppable, but man, they can accumulate yards and points in an awfully big hurry. And I think we have a chance to see it again Saturday against Georgia Tech. But, you know, p- pitching a shutout, is, especially against a Power 5 opponent, yeah, that's that's not to be dismissed, no matter who it is, and um, that's what that's what the Cavaliers did. They they blanked William and Mary in, in the season opener, so they've got they've got a pair of shutouts on the season. So you know we, we'll see if indeed they have it figured out on defense, or if it was more a function of Duke. 
One thing I, I will say, because I, I wrote about this this week, this defense had allowed seven touchdowns of 35 yards or longer. So seven, what we call big play touchdowns in the four games leading up to Duke. And in practice, the coaches and, and Nick Hal kind of got after me this morning at practice. He said it's not a punishment, but uh, respectfully, Coach Hal agree to disagree. Um, if players misalign, if they misread a key, uh, if they make those kind of mental mistakes, those were being charted and guys were hitting the, the tackling sled after practice. And they did it again today. Now, Coach Hal says it's not a punishment, that anytime you have the chance to get better, that's really a reward, uh, which might be semantics, because I think after practicing football all morning, having to do any extra physical labor uh, might be seen as a bit of punishment. But the point is the emphasis. Um, They certainly seem like, and I know it's just Duke, but they were able to tighten up things. uh, And that can only, uh, you know, portend good things for them going forward, I would think. What was Duke's longest play, Mike? Do you remember? I don't. I, let me pull it up. I know Mateo Durant had a uh, 24 yard, yard run, I believe it was, on a third and one uh, in the first quarter. And I was thinking, here we go again. And then it didn't happen again. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, they didn't give up a chunk touchdown because they didn't allow any touchdowns. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, th- th- that was clearly, you know, even in, in the wins over M- Miami and, and Louisville, you know, you remember huge chunk plays. You know how long was was the touchdown pass at Louisville? Ninety two or ninety one yards? Yep, ninety two yarder, and then they gave up the fifty two yard run in the third mm-hmm. quarter uh, to Hassan Hall. So it's been the problem. Yeah, no question. Then there was a the long run at Miami, if if memory serves. Cameron Harris. Yep. Yeah, as well. So we, even in victory, the Cavaliers were giving those up. If 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 they can eliminate those, then yes, this is this is a team that that could play its back play its way back into coastal contention. It it will need some help. Need needs Pitt to, to to drop a game along the way. And and again, you know, think of it this way, Mike. If Clemson wins at Pitt on Saturday. I kind of doubt it, but it certainly wouldn't surprise anyone. And if Virginia beats Georgia Tech, Virginia's in control of the Coastal. How wild is that? Yes. How wild is that after we watch them just get drilled by Carolina and basically drilled by Wake, two 20-point losses in a row. Mm -hmm. Uh, And here we are in mid to, to late October saying they might be in control of their own destiny in the division. Going back, David, Duke did not complete a pass for more than 19 yards, and the Durant run of 24 that I mentioned in the first quarter was the only run of over 20 yards. So uh, no punch from the Blue Devils. Yeah. So encouraging sign there for the Cavaliers. Can they make it a trend Saturday? You know, against a very, very different offense than than Dukes you know Je- Jeff Sims is is a dual threat quarterback Jameer Gibbs is, is one of the most versatile players in the league the Yellow Jackets running back and and the Jackets have had their moments defensively this season they did a terrific job against Sam Howell in, in Carolina mm-hmm. in, in down there at Mercedes-Benz Stadium the the, the Falcons Park where where they played the Tar Heels only gave up 22 that night and beat the Tar Heels by 23, but then they also gave up 55 to Kenny Pickett and, and Pitt. 
So we'll, I'm I'm really interested in, in Saturday night's game. It's an interesting matchup, and and you know you go back to the Louisville game. Virginia's defense did a nice job of keeping Malik Cunningham contained in that game. Um, obviously, a big point of emphasis, and we mentioned they gave up some big plays in other areas, uh, but they didn't let him get loose running mm-hmm. the ball much. And um, the players today that I talked to, I talked to Josh Ahern, the linebacker who's just moved into the starting lineup, and he said, you know, there was a lot of the same keys and the same lessons and a lot of same focal points that they had going to Louisville that they'll have facing Sims and Georgia Tech on Saturday. But David, I hinted at this uh, earlier, but offensively, obviously 48 points, Virginia's been really good all year offensively. Brendan Armstrong throwing it all over the place and uh, could be on the verge of setting all sorts of uh, passing yardage records. But for the first time since he was injured against Illinois, we saw Virginia call some designed runs for Brennan Armstrong. Yeah. That was the offense a year ago, and they've basically shelved it in favor of throwing the ball, in part because it's going really well, but in part because of that knee that, that he dinged. The knee is getting healthier. The coaches are getting more confident and comfortable calling designed runs. David, can this offense be even better if they incorporate that into it? Yes, no, no doubt, because he is uncanny running the football. I mean, I, if I were a defensive coordinator, he'd, he'd drive me batty. Cause he, he just, he's not Bryce Perkins. I mean, he, he, it's, it's just, it's the way he moves. It's just different than, than Perkins with Perkins. You just saw, okay, this guy is pure athlete. I get why we can't tackle him, but Armstrong, he's just, he's, he's an escape artist. You know, remember the, the, the game, uh, the 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 the, uh, the the weight game where they sacked him six times and it was a miracle it wasn't twelve. <laughs> That's right. The the way he's able to spin out of things and and such, he's just very gifted that way. He's got instincts and mm-hmm. he's sneaky fast and he's fearless. That's for daggone sure. And if if he's comfortable and they are comfortable with him running the football. Yeah, I think the offense becomes more versatile, more difficult to defend, and heaven help opponents if, by chance, Lavelle Davis shows up late in the season. We saw Lavelle Davis today coming off the practice field. He was in full pads. He did really? have, I, he did have, I believe, the orange protective jersey. Uh, he's been out there a few other days, kind of catching balls and doing individual stuff. Is he ready for contact? I don't know, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's amazing to think with how good this offense has been. What it would be if he were healthy, if Armstrong never dings the knee. Um, this offense has been great, and it's had its share of of injury issues. Mike, think about this collection of receivers slash tight end. I'm, I'm going to put Jelani Woods mm-hmm. in, in that group because he's so versatile. With Wicks and Kemp and Woods and Keaton Thompson, I mean, Virginia's got a collection of receivers, I think, that is would arguably, with the possible exception of Pitt, that would be the envy of any program in the league. Yeah. 
I think that's absolutely true. And they can beat you so many different ways, right? All those guys you mentioned, Wicks is kind of a take a top off the defense. Woods is that big target in the middle who, even when he's covered, he's not covered. Kemp is this shifty little slot guy that can mm-hmm. just seem to get open all over the day. They have a lot of different ways to beat you. And they've got a quarterback right now delivering the ball uh, on target, on schedule. They've, they've been a lot of fun to watch. And and they're, they're a big reason that UVA is where it is. Uh, Braxton Burma his struggles at Tech, to be fair, a big reason why Tech is where it is. And that brings us to this week's edition of Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. UVA is hot and Virginia Tech is not. But come December, both teams will be playing in bowl games. Let's start with David. I will take it. I, I think both will, will, will get to, to six. Clearly, I mean, UVA is only one away. And, and Mike... If Virginia beats Georgia Tech on Saturday, it will have won four consecutive ACC games for the first time in a decade. Hmm. That's that's a pretty good run there. And I, I think Virginia Tech's going to get healthy, so to speak, on, on Saturday. I know Sean Tucker from Syracuse is the number two rusher in the country. But I, I, you know, I have faith that the Hokies can can slow him some and figure out enough offensively and you know then they get duke later on i I think somehow uh the Hokies get to at least six all right thanks david mike take it or leave it i'm gonna leave it and here's why i'm gonna give them the duke win i think syracuse is absolutely pivotal i don't think they win this game this weekend david i think i think syracuse uh and tucker are going to get it done in, in a close one and then the next game i'm looking at is that georgia tech game uh if it wasn't in Atlanta, I would feel so much better. <laughs> but even if they get that, if I'm assuming that they're losing Syracuse, they've got Georgia Tech on the road, Boston College on the road, Duke, which we're already giving them at home, Miami on the road, Virginia on the road. Justin Fuente said before the year, when we was asked about the schedule, acknowledging just how ridiculous it was to have that many road games at the end of your schedule, but he kind of said, well, check back with me after the year and I'll <laughs> tell you if I liked it or didn't because you could build some momentum, become a great team, and then uh, be in a great position to win road games. I think the way things have played out, uh, having four of the final five on the road really hurts. I think it makes it tough to get to that six win total. Uh, I'm going to leave it for now. I, I just, I have no confidence in Virginia Tech getting it done. I, I certainly think Virginia will be there, but I, I don't see the Hokies joining them. Mike, can I, can I make a counterintuitive point that just popped into my weird little head? Certainly. And, and, and that would be, yeah, they close with five of their last six on, on the road or four of the last five. How, yeah, four of the last five on the road. Being on the road might be the best thing that ever happened to this team. <laughs> You're not wrong. Right, I mean, right with all the negativity and, and, and such around Blacksburg and now maybe even in Lane Stadium on Saturday, I'm not I'm not sure being on the road just might might not be an escape for these guys. And and taking a look at some of those places, the way Miami season's going, oh, there ain't yeah, going to be anybody in Miami. Hell no. Boston College, if they don't get it back, they don't draw particularly well, although that is a Friday night game. Yeah. Um, and the UVA crowd, depending how things have gone, tends to be a pretty even <laughs> mm-hmm. even situation there. So uh, I, I think I think you make a good point that uh, maybe the best thing to do is to get away from it all. Uh, take a vacation from it all, like they used to say. And uh, it will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what they're able to do. Now, 
Virginia and Virginia Tech, they're both home favorites this weekend. Uh, Vegas likes the Hoos. It likes the Hokies. Let's see what our ex- expert says in this week's edition of AMAX Puppy Chow. It's our good friend and the outstanding sports columnist from the Roanoke Times, Aaron McFarling. Aaron, how are you, sir? I'm doing good, man. Got the baseball game on in the background. I got uh, we got all sorts of hockey going on as well as all of our football. So it is a good time to be a better. Yeah, I, I can't bring myself to watch the ALCS and um, as a Yankee fan and a baseball fan and a human, uh, <laughs> I dislike both of those teams. But maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe if I put a little uh, had a little skin in the game, I could bring myself to tune them in on the television. Maybe not if you went the direction I went tonight, but. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, as an Orioles fan, uh, you know, I do cover the Salem Red Sox. So I've covered a lot of these guys as they came through and they're good guys. But, uh, you know, as an Oriole fan, there is part of a part of you that just has a real hard time holding for the Red Sox. Yeah, I'm just waiting for somebody to start banging on on trash can lids. All right, Aaron. Well, let's take a look here at at the the lines we've got this week in college football. And we'll start with the Hokies. They're at home again against Syracuse. And despite how badly things are going and how upset the fan base is, Aaron, Virginia Tech's a three-point favorite over Syracuse. What do you make of that line? What I make of it is that the Orange just keep getting disrespected by the odds makers, man. It's been going on for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I've been taking advantage of it uh, on in the other direction. They have not been winning these games, which as a money line better has, has hurt me, but they've been covering. They've been covering machine. Uh, they've covered in five straight. Uh, the offensively challenged Hokies have failed to cover in four in a row. Uh, this number opened at four, and it was quickly bet down to three, and that's why. I mean, nobody, uh, very few people, I would imagine, have much faith in Virginia Tech right now, and that includes the fan base. I, I took a swing last week on the show saying I thought that they would have one good last thrust in them against uh, Pittsburgh, and that proved to be unfounded in, in the largest way. I mean, they just weren't uh, – they had nothing against uh, Pittsburgh other than a little bit of defense uh, respectability. So, I mean, I think this will probably be a low-scoring game, I think, and I think Syracuse will win it. I think it will be 24-20 uh, Syracuse. Yeah, I think low-scoring is the way to go because right now if you're Tech, you you kind of ride your defense and, and you hope your offense can maybe possess the football. That's probably the best you can do. How about Virginia, a team that's sort of trending in the other direction? They've won three in a row. They had those two really weird, funky back-to-back road wins where the opponent missed a potential game-winning field goal and then uh, a really dominant performance this past weekend against Duke, uh, a shutout, 48-0, their seventh straight win over the Blue Devils. Now it's Georgia Tech, a team that struggled with Duke (laughs) earlier this year. They're going to Scott Stadium. I've got Virginia as a seven-point favorite. Aaron, what do you see here? Man, that seems really low to me. It just does. I mean, you know, I liked Virginia last week. I love them this week in this spot. I mean, they've covered in six of their past seven games as a favorite. Uh, their last 26 games at Scott Stadium, that goes back a while. They're 19-6-1. and one. You know, we've talked many times on this segment about how good they are against the spread at home. And uh, the Jackets, they're the opposite, man. They've, they've, they've really struggled with success. They're coming off a win here, but in their past 10 games, after a win, they're 1-9 against the spread. Hmm. And on the road, they're no better. I mean, they've covered just once in their past five road games. It all adds up to a pretty pretty easy Virginia win, I think, here. 40-24 uh, to 24 is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of trends all going in Virginia's favor, of course. Who knows what, whether <laughs> that holds up, but uh, that all makes a, a ton of sense. And um, it is interesting. Yeah, I always wonder how, how will Vegas look at, or do they really look at, you know, 
the previous game. You know, Virginia, like I said, blowing out Duke and Georgia Tech um, struggling with Duke. Is that a, a factor when the guys set the line? It's a small factor, but not a huge one because, uh, you know, they, they're looking at overall numbers, you know, and sort of uh, averages for the season in terms of yardage. You know, that's why, you know, if a team has a lot of turnovers, but they but they gain a lot of yards, you know, they won't get a huge hit in Vegas usually. It'll, they'll usually – it'll be viewed as kind of an anomaly that they fumbled a bunch of times or whatever. So uh, – but, yeah, it matters a little bit because it matters to the public. You know, the public looks at what uh, happened last week and they think about that. And so – and they look at the transitive property stuff and they think about that. So they, they do have to factor factor it in because otherwise they they might get unbalanced action that makes sense now before we get to your upset of the week i'm looking at a line that i understand it this year but man it jumps out to you if you've been covering the acc for really the past decade i've got clemson as a three-point underdog against pittsburgh aaron i can't tell you the last time i don't remember the last time that clemson was an underdog in a conference game uh that surprise you, or, or is that about right with where these two programs are right now? Well, we've been talking all season long about how the odds makers had not made the adjustment, right? They had not adjusted to the fact that Clemson can't score. And uh, finally, they did. You know, finally, there's been enough coverage. You know, the last time the Tigers covered a spread? Wow, we have to go back to the ACC title game in 2020, December oh, wow. 19th, 2020. <laughs> they wrecked Notre Dame 34 to 10 as an 11 and a half point favorite. They have not covered in all six of their games this year, and of course, they didn't cover in their semifinal game in the college football playoff. So that's seven in a row. Um, you know, I think Panthers are a deserving favorite here, but I'm going to go ahead and buy low on Clemson. They're eight and two in their past ten games as a pup now they haven't been a pup very often you know especially in the acc as you mentioned but uh they they tend you know those those college football semifinals where they're where they're underdogs and such and they get you know written off a little bit that's when they play uh pretty darn well and uh, you know i still i still think they're going to come out of the atlantic i do uh they're they're still the favorites to win the league in, in according to the odds makers um and i i think maybe their defense can win one for them i'm gonna go 27-24 Clemson with a defensive score or two mixed in there. You and I are on the same page there. Vegas finally came around to realizing that Clemson isn't very good, and you and I are both ready to jump back on Clemson now. We'll see how that pans out. All right, Aaron, looking across the board, what's your upset of the week? Well, here's another team that I've been sort of low on all year, Wake Forest. Uh, you know, 6-0, and that's a glittering record. It looks great. But you look a little closer, man. They've only covered twice this season. They're, they're two and four against the spread. They're they're one and five against the spread in their past six games as a favorite. They're a very scant favorite this week at West Point uh, against Army. The Black Knights are, you know, as you might guess, are a pretty good underdog play. You know, they've they've covered in four straight as an underdog, five of six as a home underdog. I mean, the the whole world's on Wake Forest here just because if you look at those overall records, you think, well, this should be another easy win or another win at least for Wake Forest. I'm going to go the other way here and say that uh, that Army gets it done 28-24. Good stuff. Well, we know the games to watch. We know the lines to keep an eye on. Thanks for your time as always, Aaron. Thank you, Mike. Good luck, everyone. Well, David, we mentioned at the Open, we are into that part of the year, that great part of the year where we start to overlap. We get some basketball. I was out at JPJ on Sunday watching the Cavaliers scrimmage and and getting to see their uh, transfers, their freshmen. And this morning uh, on ACC Network, the, the league released the media poll, preseason poll for basketball. 
no surprise, Duke, the favorite <laughs> yet again. They, <laughs> they have not won one since 2010, but this is, I think, the seventh or eighth time since then that they've been the preseason favorite to win the regular season title. Our guys, Virginia, checks in at number four behind Duke, Florida State, and North Carolina, and right behind them, Virginia Tech. Uh, David, first off, any surprises in the poll, particularly in, in regards to UVA or Tech? Well, I had Virginia Tech four and UVA five, so they the, the the consensus just flipped them, and I had Duke, Florida State, Carolina one, two, three. So no surprises there. the The consensus was with you, Mike, if if I recall, you're high on Louisville. Yes, and the the, the poll has the the Cardinal sixth. I picked them ninth. I think, as I mentioned last mm-hmm. week on the pod, just all the Chris Mack drama and, and NCAA foolishness gives gives me pause. The team I see is really undervalued mm-hmm. in, in the poll is Miami. They're 12th. Uh, and and I, I could be, as, as often the case, way out, of, way out of line here. I picked Miami 7th. And they, they've got their top two scores back and Isaiah Wong and, and Cam McGusty. That's a veteran older team that had so much bad injury luck the last couple of years. I just think the fates will smile on them from an injury standpoint. And I we all know Jim Laranaga can coach. I, I think the Canes are going to be much better than 12th. It, you know, it was an interesting poll in that regard because, and maybe it speaks well for what the ACC is going to be this year. I think Clemson at 11 is underrated. I think Brad Brownell has a team that is better than the 11th team in the league. I think Notre Dame at eight might be underrated. I think Mike Bray has a really good team. Uh, so now between the two, those are three teams there uh, picked in the bottom half of the league that, well, I guess Notre Dame at eight would be in the Smack top Smack dab in the middle, right? <laughs> right. right, yeah, the, the equalizer there. But, um, you know, those are teams down in, in the rankings that I, I think the three of us agree could could be pretty good this year. Uh, you know, Louisville, the drama is notwithstanding. I do like that team. I think Syracuse has a chance to be really good. Yes. Uh, my point being that, you know, Tony Bennett mentioned a year ago, UVA won the ACC regular season title uh, and People say, well, it wasn't a very good year in the ACC. And he acknowledges it wasn't a great vintage ACC year. Still tough to win the, the league. Um, this feels like it could be more of that vintage ACC kind of basketball year. Hope so. Makes things more interesting <laughs> sure uh, f- for us. I, you know, other than perhaps Paulo Banchero, the, the, the freshman at Duke, I don't know if there's that signature star uh, and that's no offense to to Keve Aluma at, at Virginia Tech or, or Buddy Beheim at, at Syracuse, both of whom I think are exceptional players. But just that that national presence, you know, maybe it's Bonchero, maybe he's the next Zion Williamson. I, I don't know, but from a, from a collective, I think you may be on to something there. I think it's going to be strong. Now, Banchero, who you mentioned, was also uh, named the preseason player of the year. David, you and I, and I don't think either of us are Virginia Tech homers, but <laughs> we both had Keve Aluma, I believe, on, on our ballots. Were you surprised that, that the media went with you know, a guy that, outside of YouTube videos, we've never seen play? <laughs> no, because, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I think we're all prisoners to some degree uh, of, of the hype. 
And uh, if memory serves, I think Zion was the preseason player of the year when he was a freshman, and maybe even some others at, at Duke, Jaleel Okafor c- comes to mind, maybe even uh, Jabari Parker, or some of other Mike's w- one and done. So in, in that regard, no. But Mike, I, I have to confess, you're starting to worry me because I, I have an excuse. I can be cranky and old school because I am old and not vote for a freshman for preseason player. You're far younger than I. You should you should you should be more hip and and willing to 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 make that leap. Oh, David, I'll bring the kids on the podcast one day, and they'll explain to you how not hip uh, <laughs> their dad actually is. But, but I, I and I am. I guess I'm the old curmudgeon in that regard. But and you know, maybe if I didn't think there was a deserving candidate, I'd be quicker to say, okay, let's go on potential. Yeah. But Keve Aluma, right? I mean, he is the real deal. And indeed, he did you know finish second in the Player of the Year voting. I believe uh, it was Banchero, Aluma, and then Beheim. Beheim, a great college player. Uh, also a guy who can take over games with his shooting. Um, again, at, at the end of the year, I won't have any trouble <laughs> voting for Banchero for player of the year, assuming right. he has the kind, but he hasn't, he's got zero career points for Duke. Mm-hmm. He's never scored a bucket in the ACC. Uh, let me go with the guy who, who I know what he can do. I know what he can do against college competition. Uh, I know his motor and, uh, I don't have a huge problem with it, but I, I was a little surprised uh, when there is a, I think, excellent candidate out there uh, that the media, in my opinion, reached. What about the first and second team? Any any surprises for you there? No, really. I mean, we we only voted for for one team. They they yep. took the top ten vote getters, and and actually the the first five matched my ballot: Beheim, Aluma, Wong, Baycott, Banchero. Well, humble brag then, because I, I was one off. I had Prentice Hub. Yeah, I know. You're really high on him. I really like Prentice Hub. And, and again, I really like that Notre Dame team. It, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, do I love Hub? So I think Notre Dame's going to be greater. <laughs> do I love that Notre Dame team? And But I mean, it, part of that is, you know, Hub is the kind of guy that's surrounded with good players. He's going to be a, a handful. And um I, but I had no real problems. I, I, I like a lot of the guys on that list. It'll be interesting to see Kihei Clark uh, from Virginia was a second team pick. He also received five votes for, for player of the year, which uh, surprised me a little bit. Uh, yeah, that seems a reach. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a very good player, and, he, and he's a great leader and, and a tremendous on-ball defender. But as we saw in the scrimmage Sunday, David, it, this Virginia offense is going to be built around uh, attacking the rim with Reese Beekman uh, and Armand Franklin and going into the low block with Caden Shedrick and Jaden Gardner. I just don't think Kia Clark's going to be asked to do the things that you would ask a player of the year candidate to do, but it all remains to be seen, of course. Yeah. What were your impressions of Gardner? I'm, I'm fascinated to watch him play because, man, he was a scoring machine at East Carolina. Yeah, very impressed in the scrimmage and impressed because it's obvious that they believe in him to score in a number of different ways, right? He's not just a bruiser that they throw it to the low block, which they did a lot, uh, but they also throw it to him a little more out towards the wing and he could take guys off the dribble. Uh, he was a strong finisher through contact, uh, decent free throw shooter. He just, he seems like a more versatile offensive player than I was envisioning. Honestly, David, closer to, and he's not this kind of outside shooter, but closer to the things we saw Sam Hauser do 
early in the season when Hauser's outside shot wasn't falling. Hmm. Um, the way he could catch the ball kind of all around the paint and get to the rim or score or draw contact. Um, I was very impressed with with the versatility of Gardner's offensive game. Well, that's that's encouraging because, at least for, for Virginia faithful, because t- Tony Bennett, I thought, was pretty frank with us down at the ACC tip-off where he's like, you know, where's our offense going to be coming from? Yeah, I wonder now if he wasn't being a little coy because it is yeah. a different style of offense, right? It isn't going to be the jump shot perimeter three offense that we've seen. Um, but there are a lot of guys who can get to the rim and a lot of guys who can score uh, other ways. It's it's It should be an interesting season uh, all around the ACC. And we hope you'll all be listening and, and following along. Thanks for listening today. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts wherever you find your favorite pods. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. And please join David and me again next time.